You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, today I want to talk to you about how to handle troubles and trials in your life. Anybody here got any troubles? Anybody here got any trials? I know that many of you do. In fact, I know for a fact that many of you find yourselves in a really especially difficult season in your life. You're going through something right now that you didn't ask for it. You don't want it. But God is having you go through it. How do you handle that? The title of my sermon today is Getting Through It when there's no getting around it. Getting through it when there's no getting around it. It reminds me of uh, the novel by C.S. Lewis, The Horse and His Boy. If you know that story, you remember, you recall the scene where the, the children are on that journey, heading north to Narnia with their talking horses, and they come, uh, they come to this daunting city of Tashbane. And they, want to, they don't want to have to go through this city. There's, gonna, there's all kinds of challenges there. There's so many people. They're afraid of complications and being found out. But the reality is, is that there was no way around it. They were going to have to go through it. And I think that that is really a picture for us, a picture of our lives. It's like the old rhyme you used to sing when you were a kid. You know, you can't go around it, can't go over it, can't go under it. You got to go through it. And sometimes that's just the reality in our lives. There, we, we love it when God intervenes. We, we love it when God spares us the hardship, when he cuts the hardship short. And he does that many times. In fact, I think he does that probably more than we realize. We love it when God does that. But sometimes he doesn't. Instead, sometimes he has us go, instead of around the health crisis, he has us go through it. Instead of going around the family ordeal, he leads us right through that dark valley, the financial woe, the spiritual test. There are many times when God has us go right through those things that we so wish that we could avoid. Our question, though, then is how do we do it? How does, how does a child of God get through what there's, when there's no getting around? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this. A lot to say about this, but my thinking this morning is that instead of just reading about it, why not look at an example of somebody who did it and did it really well? And I would suggest to you that nobody, when you read the Bible, nobody had it harder in life than Jesus, and nobody did it better going through it than Jesus. So why not look to him? And I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to a portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus, it's, well, it's his darkest hour. We're going to go, we're going to meet him in his greatest time of struggle. And he was coming to terms with the fact that there would be no way around absolute calamity. And that he went through it, ultimately victoriously. How do you do that? 
Well, I wanted to look and see here, Matthew 26, and our focus today is going to be verses 36 to 46. Now, Lord willing, a week from now, we'll get back into our series in Philippians, but I just wanted to just, just take today to address this subject because I think it's pretty relevant. I know that I need it. I know many of you need it, and I'm trusting the Lord that you'll be blessed by our study together in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. The scene that we're in is in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been to Gethsemane. It's just outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. At the time, is a, a garden, a garden filled with groves of olive trees. It seemed to be a place that Jesus liked to go, a place that was kind of his place to, to get away and to get along with God. Maybe you've got a place like that. Maybe a certain place, a cabin in the country, or maybe it's just your car in your driveway, somewhere where you go, to just your, your place where you go to, to get with God. Well, this was Jesus' place to be with his father, Gethsemane, and we find him here in great distress. We pick it up in verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with them, the them are his disciples, uh, the 11. Of course, it would have, would have been the 12, except somebody was missing, weren't they? Judas Iscariot. He went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Bible scholars in the room, who are the two sons of Zebedee? What's their names, remember? Jeffrey and Jonah, was that it? What was it again? James and John, that's right. Give that person the prize, whatever it is. Two sons of Zebedee, James and John, right? Jeffrey and Jonah, that's great. I just thought of that in a moment. Taking with him the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be, notice, notice what? He began to be sorrowful. Who is this we're talking with? This is Jesus. Anybody here sorrowful today? Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be sorrowful. He began to be sorrowful and, notice, troubled. Are you troubled today? Troubled by pressure, troubled by family stress, troubled by financial problems, troubled by a health crisis, troubled by, troubled by trouble that you're having a hard time putting your finger on? Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what that's like. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, now this is the three, right? Peter, James, and John. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, very sorrowful, even notice, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. What does he want them to do? He wants them to stay awake and probably to pray. Keep watch with me to pray. Verse 39, and going a little further on, a little further. So he leaves these three. He goes a little further. Notice what happens. And going a little further, notice, he fell on his face. There may be a handful of you here in this room that know something of that experience where it's not, you're not the football player taking the knee before the game, but your, your legs give out from under you, under the duress, under the sorrow, under the grief. Some of you maybe have had that experience where it's just like all strength gives way. Or you think of the, the child who, who holds it together until they see their parent come in the room and then they just let it go. This is Jesus coming before his father and as he draws near to his father, as it were, the strength gives way, his legs give way and he falls on his face. Jesus knows what that's like. And going a little further, verse 39, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, 
Not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples, verse 40, he came to his disciples and found them what? Found them deep in prayer, right? Crying out to God. Lord, have mercy on us. I don't know what's going on tonight, but God, come and and guard us and gird us up together and be with our Lord. That's what they were doing, right? No, it's not what they were doing. What were they doing? Sleeping. And he came to Jesus and found them sleeping. I wonder how the Lord finds us this morning. I mean, you're all awake, looks like anyway, for the most part. But I wonder if we're a little sleepy this morning spiritually. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. (laughs) You write that over most of us, right? This, I mean, I've got a desire here. I've got a noble desire. But our ability sometimes to do it is just so lacking. Again, verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. What does he want? He wants this cup to pass from him. And he prays us again, if this cannot pass, this cup. Why this cup? Well, this, uh, the cup in the Old Testament is frequently a symbol of the wrath of God. It's frequently a symbol of the judgment of God on sin. Why is Jesus praying about a cup being uh, passing from him? Well, because he is going to the cross. Here at Gethsemane, we are the night before his crucifixion. He'll be crucified in the morning, and he's here pleading with his father, pleading with his father for his life. And he's recognizing that this is coming now. This appointed hour has come, and and he will be crucified, and humanly speaking, because of the envy of religious leaders and because of the angry mob. But truly, he'll be crucified because of me and because of you, because of our sin And when he is crucified, when he's nailed to the cross, he will himself, in dying, be subjected to the wrath of God for sin. Sin that he did not commit, but sins that I have committed and you have committed. They're making payment for us so that we can be forgiven. What a Savior. What a Savior. So in praying here, though, you might wonder, was he trying to avoid that? No, he's not trying to avoid being a Savior, but he is... He is asking, Father, if there's another way, is there another way? Pleading for his life in his humanity here, we see the sorrow and the anguish and recognizing what he's about to go through and crying out, crying out for mercy. Verse 42, and again a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I I drink it, your will be done. And again he came to them, found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. Don't you hate that feeling? You know, you know exactly what I mean, right? Just like you're driving your car. You cannot fall asleep at the wheel of your car. You're driving your car and you know it. I could die. And yet your eyelids just get so heavy. You know that feeling? It's time to pull over, isn't it? Well, these disciples, they're just so, they just, they just, they try, they start, like, let's try praying out loud. And they just, just, it's late, they're tired, they're weak. 
Their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, so leaving them again, he, Jesus, went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Some of you have been praying the same thing for days, weeks, maybe even months. Jesus knows what it is to be going back repeatedly praying, repeatedly seeking, I'm back again, I'm back again. Verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Who's the betrayer? It's Judas, right? And he was bringing with him a mob who would come and would arrest Jesus. And they would take him through to his crucifixion. What's going on here? Well, it's the worst of all trials. Jesus is staring down the wrath of God. Is there any getting around it? No. So how do you go through what you can't get around? First, we get through what we can't get around by making bold petition. By making bold petition. When we make petition, when we talk Bible speak in church, when we talk about making petition, we don't mean like get a whole bunch of signatures. We mean directly asking pleading, appealing to God to do, to act, to intervene, to provide. We, we seek God, asking for something. We make a direct request. Jesus' direct request was, remove this cup from me. Verse, uh, verse uh, 39, my father, let, if, if, it is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, father, if there's any other way, D- don't, don't have me go through this. To be sure, the physical pain was going to be horrendous. To be crucified was barbaric, bloody, excruciating. The emotional pain would be immense. The Lord Jesus would be falsely accused, publicly humiliated, and abandoned by his closest friends. You ever been abandoned by close friends? Jesus knows what that's like, too. It'd be physically painful, emotionally painful, but worst of all, it would be spiritually painful. Spiritually painful because he is about to face the wrath of God, and, and, and it's, that on its own is, is calamitous. But take it even further, here is the Son, God the Son, who forever has enjoyed perfect fellowship. This is the one of whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now for the first time, and... Wonder, praise God for the only time. There will be something different in that relationship where the Father will pour out His wrath on the Son for sins that the Son did not commit, but the Son bore on our behalf. What did Jesus do in the face of this, in the face of such pressure, in the face of such trial and trouble? What did He do? He came to His Father and He made bold petition, a bold, clear request. Let this cup pass from me. Again, not, will, not meaning that he was not willing to be our Savior. Not meaning that he was opposed to this plan. Not meaning that he was a victim in this. After all, in John 10 and 18, Jesus said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
So Jesus is fully in. He's fully on board. But we see here his humanity. In his humanity, here we see the pressure, the pain, the struggle, the anguish of what he's about to go through. And what he does in the midst of this is he makes bold petition. Now, when you make bold petition, I'd suggest it involves at least three things. Bold petition involves, firstly, being specific. Or at least as specific as you can. What is it that I need? What is it that I'm asking? Ask it. Don't dance around it. Don't try to be wordy. Ask it. Let this cup pass. That was the Lord's petition. Remember, God, I mean, God knows all about it, right? The, the trial, the trouble that you have, the situation. He knows all about it. In fact, he knows it better and understands it better than you do. Better than I do. But in articulating our need, in making our request, it is the, it's the process of us entrusting our burden, our desire, our need to God. That, that's how we do it. Like when Peter says that we're going to be casting all our cares upon him, this is what he's talking about, about bringing it to him specifically, especially in prayer. Here it is, Lord, and here's what I need, and here's what I'm asking for, and, and here's what I want. And by the way, you can ask God for big things because he's a big God. You can ask him for breakthroughs that seem to you a, a huge stretch, even a virtual impossibility. You can ask him. He's honored in the asking. And I'll tell you something else. He's been known a time or two or many more to do the impossible. Jesus asks here specifically. He makes a bold petition and trusting to God, his, his father, his specific need. Bold petition involves being specific. Bold petition involves honesty with reverence. Honesty with reverence. Honestly laying out before what it is. There's no pretense here in this prayer. Remember Jesus, this isn't a rehearsed thing. This is, this is not composed. I, it seems to, there's, there's no formality. Remember, he fell to his face. It's honest. It's, it's laying bare the heart's cry. But it's also with reverence. It's not demanding. It's not commanding. Look at the words of Jesus. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That's a huge ask. But he doesn't stop there. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There's, there's reverence here. There's reverence. It, honesty with reverence. Bold petition, thirdly, involves being in God's presence. Being in his presence. There's a, sense in which, there's a sense in which we're always in God's presence because God is everywhere present. He's omnipresent, as the theologians say. It means he's everywhere all the time. There's nowhere that he isn't. But the Bible still calls us to draw near to him. So you see, there's, there's a distinguishing mark there. There's something that we do. We draw near to God in the sense that is different from the fact that God is always there. We seek Him. We turn to Him. We, we talk to Him. We come before Him, as it were, into His presence to worship Him, to plead with Him. We Sometimes we call it spending time with Him. We seek the God, God particularly. We talk to Him directly. We are present with Him. Now, if you've read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, you'll know that this was something that Jesus was seen doing in his life. This was a, this was a pattern in Jesus' life, in his life. Luke 5 and 16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. That's really instructive, isn't it? 
Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Now, for some of us, that's a huge hurdle on its own. If you've got multiple people in your household and a small living space, finding deserted places are difficult. But many believer has been known to go literally into a closet and close the door. Many believer has been known to go out into the car. You say, I don't have a car. Many a believer has been known to get really creative, a furnace room, a crawl space, a go away, leave me alone in Jesus' name. To get with the Lord. And you, you, see the Lord, you see the Lord Jesus in his life different times. It's, we should do the study sometime. We should do the study of, of times when Jesus is noted to having withdrew to be with his Father. Times of grief, major decisions, intense ministry, here in the midst of the greatest of all trials. It was a pattern in Jesus' life. Listen, it's a privilege that Jesus has made possible for us. Jesus died on the cross, Peter says, remember, to bring us to God. Sin separates us from God, but Christ died for our sins, removing the barrier. By the way, that is the best of all news. You can know God. You can know God today. If, you're, if you don't know that God, if you don't know God today, you can know him. Jesus has made the way. By faith, you can know him. He removes the barrier so we can draw near to him and have communion with him. Wonder of wonders, the God of all creation. Jesus, it was a pattern in his life, and it's a privilege that he's made possible. Pursuing his presence is part of the privilege, part of the benefits of being a child of God. Somebody said this, you and I ought to pursue his presence until we feel his absence no longer. Pursue his presence until you feel his absence no longer. That's a privilege the Lord has opened for us. Loved ones, when you're going through a trial, like Christ has a hard time, and some of you are today. Some of you are. You're there right now. And you're saying, yeah, what do I do? What do I do with this? I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. But I can't seem to be going around this. I'm going to have to go through it. So how do I go through it? Start here with bold petition. Seeking the Lord in prayer. Making your request to him. What is it that you need? What is it that you want? What is your request? Lay it before him. Lay it before him. Jesus made his petition, but immediately we notice that he didn't stop there. He, there's this word, yet. You see that in verse 39, especially. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet, or in my Bible, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he, he pleaded for another way, but he wasn't defiant or demanding, or commanding. Rather, he was humble and submissive. He says, here is my request. I want, I'm asking if there's another way to let it be possible. Don't, don't have me go through this. Please don't have me go through this. And you might pray that today, and you might find that God will cut that thing short and yank you out of it. It could be. It could be. But in Jesus' situation, and in many other situations, maybe God has a different plan. And for that, it's, it calls for humble submission. You get through what you can't get around by firstly making humble petition. Second, by humble submission. By humble submission. Nevertheless, not what I will. Nevertheless, not what I want. Not what I'm asking. Not what I desire. But what you will. What you want. 
Now, that's an incredible prayer of faith. Dear brother, sister, when you can plead before God and say, God, this is what I want. Take this away from me. But then to linger a little longer in submission and say, but God, but what I want more than what I'm asking, and I am asking, but what I want more than what I'm asking is whatever it is that you want. And if what you want is different from what I want, then what you want is what I want. Humble submission. When we have humble submission, we give way to God's authority. This was the pattern in Jesus' life, wasn't it? Paul said that in Philippians 2.8. Remember just not too long ago in our study in Philippians. Being found in human form, talking about Jesus, Paul said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. I think Paul had this scene in mind when he wrote that verse. And Jesus taught us to pray this way, didn't he? Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, you see, some of you pray this actually more often than you think if you say the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer of humble submission. It's acknowledging that, God, you are God. You're in charge, and I want what you want. You're the boss. We heard this uh, an interview a few years ago. The, um, he used to be the general manager for the Toronto Blue Jays. His name was Alex Anthopoulos. And at the time when he was running the Blue Jays, uh, his boss was a, a man named Paul Beeston. So many of you recognize that name if you've been a sports fan, a Toronto sports fan. And Paul Beeston was a boss, and, uh, but they, the two men were, were really well known for having a good, a good working relationship. And in an interview one time, Anthopolis was asked about what's it like to work for Paul Beeston, and he had some glowing things to say, that he's fair, and you know, he gives me lots of leeway, and he's supportive and everything. And then some, the interviewer asked, so, so uh, what happens when the two of you disagree? Like what happens when you want to do one thing and he says no? Like how do you, how do you settle that? He says, well, what he does is he leads me into his office and points to me a chart on the wall, the organizational chart. And on the org chart, he points out, he points out where I am and where he is and says, so we're going to do it my way. Loved ones, you and I, there's an org chart in our lives, isn't there? Just sometimes we forget that. And if you review the org chart, you'll remember that God is on the throne and he is in charge and we serve at the pleasure of the king. So if it is his pleasure that we go through it, then dear brother and sister, we're called to be humbly submissive to that. We make bold petition. We make bold, we have recourse. Father, please don't have me go through this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In humble submission, we, we are saying, Lord, what you want is what I want. You're in charge. You're on the throne, not me. Your way is best, Lord. Your way is wisest. You know better than me. You know better than me. I, I think I know what's best for me, but you do know what's best for me. You know what's best for your kingdom. You know what's best for the mission. You are good and you are God. You see the big picture. I just see the short-term picture. But you see the whole thing, and you are doing a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand things all at once, and I can only do one, maybe two things at a time. So I submit myself to you. I, I trust you. 
I know that you will, your word says you will withhold no good thing from your children. There's nothing you'll hold back from me if it's good for me. So I'll trust you. See, I, I submit myself to him. I humble myself before him. And my dear friend, I know that today that, that could be a hard thing to pray. For some of you to submit yourself in your circumstance or in this storm that you smell coming, that could be a big ask. But dear brother, sister, Jesus went there first, and he shows us the way. And he's leading some of you through that way today. You can say, God, I desire a breakthrough, a provision, relief, a way out. But nevertheless, if you've got something else in mind, I submit myself to you. You say, I don't say I can pray that prayer. Ask God to help you. Help me to pray that, Lord, and help me to mean it. A lot of people say, you see, a lot of people say, well, I'll go God's way as long as he goes my way. That's not how a Christian talks, is it? That's not how Jesus did it. And you and I are called to the same. How do you get through it when there's no getting around it? We get through by making bold petition and with humble submission. And when you do that, it gives way to faithful surrender. Faithful surrender. That's the third thing. You get through what you can't get around by faithful surrender. What do I mean by that? Well, I have especially in mind what happens at the end of this, uh, this little account here, verses 45 and 46. Comes back a third time, finds the disciples sleeping again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. So Judas and the mob are on their way. You can hear the footsteps coming up the path, coming through the groves of trees. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now notice verse 46. Rise, let us be going. This is striking to me. Rise, get up, get up, let's be going. Going where? To the cross. To the cross. Rise, let us be going. I prayed, if, Father, if there's another way, let it pass. But I submit myself to you. Now in faithful surrender, Lord, if this is what you have for me, if we're going to go through it, you're going to be with me, then let's go. Rise, let us be going. Faithful surrender. God, if this is the path that you have for me, then so help me, God, I'm going through it. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In faithful surrender, I renounce any thought of getting out from under trial by doing something unfaithful. You remember, in John's account, when they all showed up, Judas and his gang of thugs, they showed up, there was a bit of, there was a bit of a tussle, and Peter got out his sword. Remember? And he did a little surgery, on, a little cosmetic surgery on one of the people that was in the mob, lopped off his ear. And Jesus fixes the man's ear, heals his ear, and tells Peter... Nice going. Way to go. Is that what he told him? He said, put away your sword. Put away your sword. Why? Because he was engaging in faithful surrender. This is what my father has for me. I'm not going to do anything unfaithful. And loved ones, as we see Jesus going forward, we see him obediently, humbly receiving from his father the hand that he's dealt. James says in James 1 and verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. 
Let steadfastness have its full effect. So I'm going to be steadfast, going to be faithful, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to press on, trusting the Lord. I've got to let it have its full effect. It means I'm not going to cut it short by being unfaithful. Let me try to make this practical for you as best I can. I have in mind, just for example, a man or a woman under financial pressure, and the temptation in the midst of that is you, you want to pray, okay, I will be done. But the pressure is so much that in the midst of it, you feel, you feel a temptation to cheat. An open door to maybe fudge some numbers, or, or maybe, to, maybe just sort of take a little something that's not yours for yourself to ease the burden. You wouldn't be the first person to have done that. But it's not godliness. It's, it's not faithful surrender. Faithful surrender says... I'm not going to find a sinful, easy way out here. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to be obedient to Him through it. Maybe a single person under what they might feel as a trial of loneliness. I just, I, just, I just want to love someone and have someone to love me. It's understandable. That's honorable. But sometimes the loneliness and the feeling sense of aloneness can become weighty. And there's pressure. Many a believer feels a pressure that there's somebody I kind of like, but they don't know the Lord. I know the Scripture says to marry in the Lord. But what you just don't understand, dear Christian friend, is what you don't understand, Pastor, is I just feel so alone. Jesus knows what that's like. But there's a pressure maybe to compromise Faithful surrender, though, doesn't compromise. Faithful surrender says, I would rather have this trial be deeper and last longer than to compromise and dishonor the Lord. Maybe a couple in a trial of marriage and a strong temptation to be like, you know, let's just shut it down. Let's just shut it down. Let's just quit trying. Or maybe a private struggle. And there's lots of you know what this is like. I do too. Harboring a resentment toward God and toward others because he's dealt me a hand that he's not dealt them. I mean, look at her. She's got a stinking royal flush. And I got a pair of threes. <laughs> Some of you feel like that. And you rolled over in your heart. You're resentful toward God. Not that you ever vent it out loud, but quietly, it, the, there's a little anthem in your life of being bitter toward God because of the hand he dealt you and the hand he dealt him. It ain't fair. It ain't right. But you see, when we're in faithful surrender, we renounce any thought of getting out from under the trial by doing something unfaithful. What does a person do when they're resentful? They withdraw from God. God's not for me, I'm not going to be for him. And they withdraw and they pull away. But no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And you notice I say renounce it. I say renounce it because I'm not naive enough to think that the temptation isn't there, that it won't come back. But when it does, when I feel like I'm going to walk away, when I feel like I'm going to harbor this resentment and bitterness, when I feel like I'm going to compromise in the face of the temptation, I'm saying, no, I'm not doing that. You've got to help me, God. i got this petition. But I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. And in the midst of this, by his strength, I surrender to what he has for me. I renounce any thought of getting out from under trial by doing something unfaithful to the Lord. I recognize, too, that my life is not about me. As a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm following Jesus. I, my life is about you now. I also remember this and take comfort in this, 
that my trial is temporary. It's temporary. This, this season you're in right now, my dear beloved struggler, is not how your story is going to end. It's not. You know how I know? Because the tomb is empty. Because Christ has risen. He's given you life in him. He's promised an eternity with him of eternal joy in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, yes, you're in a trial, but that trial is temporary. And one day, take heart, my dear friend, take heart. One day, it will seem like a distant, foggy, smelly memory that will be in eternity, that will be at its worst, nothing more than the memory of just a bad dream. It's coming. It's coming. This is an important perspective for us to have on our lives, that our trials are temporary. Realize, loved ones, realize that as followers of Jesus, right now there's, there's, there's sort of two times in our lives. The time we're in now, we can call it cross time. Like Jesus, facing down the cross. In this life, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. Turns out, Jesus was right. We're in cross time. But one day, sooner than maybe we feel like, one day, it won't be cross time anymore. You know what it'll be then? It'll be crown time. Just like Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, Paul says in Philippians 2.8, then in the next verse, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He is exalted, and by God's grace we share in his victory as his children. Right now, loved ones, we're in cross time. What's coming is crown time. So take heart, take heart, weary traveler, take heart. But here's the thing. Don't expect crown time when you're in cross time. Right? Why is life so difficult? Why is it so hard? Because we're in cross time. But coming, what's coming? What's coming soon? What time? Crown time. It's coming. Faithful surrender. Surrendering to the Lord. Renouncing thoughts of getting out from under my trial by doing something unfaithful. Recognizing it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Him. And remembering that my trials, however they are, whatever grief, whatever waiting, whatever aloneness, whatever distress, it's all part of cross time. And crown time is coming. And so I surrender it to Him and count on him to be enough for me through it. So we've seen so far how you get through what you can't get around. First of all, by making bold petition. Secondly, by humble, what humble? Submission. I just made you say it. Humble submission. You say, I'm not saying it. Say it. Humble submission. Your will be done. And then thirdly, faithful surrender. Now, there's one more thing, though, I want you to see. And, I mean, in some ways it could say, well, we could just end right here. But, but so much of this text, though, when I reflect on this text, so much of it focuses on the sleepy disciples. Like, the main thing is Jesus, right? The main thing is him praying and crying out to his Father. But we keep being brought back here. Matthew keeps bringing us back to this little band of brothers 
who just can't stay awake. And I think there's, it's good for us to linger over this for a moment at least. These sleepy disciples. Jesus says, verse 41, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's something that he wants them to do. He wants them to stay awake and pray, and there's a reason for it. And so they won't enter into temptation. Now, if you're lingering over this and thinking about it, it's a reasonable question to ask, what's the temptation? What temptation is it that Jesus has in mind that they might fall into? Well, the temptation to sin would be a broad answer, but in particular to sin by abandoning the Lord in his hour of need, to deny the Lord, to deny even knowing him, and to despair in the midst of tragedy. Now listen, listen, all of these things happened to these disciples. All of them. They all fled. Peter denied even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but thrice. Three times he denied, I don't even know him. And they despaired in the midst of tragedy. We see as we read the gospel narratives that the disciples thought it was over, it was finished. In Luke, Luke 24, one of the disciples says, we had thought that he was going to save Israel. In other words, I guess we were wrong. <laughs> no, they weren't wrong, but they fell into temptation to sin. All of these things happened. All those things happened. They did wander and deny. Jesus says, though, he says to them, watch. He calls them to an alertness, an awakeness, versus as opposed to slothfulness and lethargy. The, the point here, I think, is that you and, I, you and I need to be watchful because if we're not in a trial right now, if you smell, you can probably smell the rain coming. The spirit is willing, Jesus says, but the flesh is weak. You see, we've got a weakness about ourselves. We've got in our fallenness and our limitations. We, see, we, we need God. We need, we need him. We need him. So what Jesus is calling his disciples to is what I believe he also calls you and I to do to be watchful and to be prayerful. See, loved ones, you get through what you can't get around by preparing with prayerful vigilance. By preparing with prayerful vigilance. What do we mean by vigilance? I just mean being on it, by doing it, by being alert and awake, by prayer, talking to God, and preparing, getting ready for what's to come. And if you're in it, it's not too late. But we do see the reality that as we read this story, we, you can sense, even if you're just reading this text for the first time, even a first-time reader has a clear sense that trouble is on the horizon. They've already seen and they already know about the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. And, and you, we, you know, it's like we can hear the footsteps of the mob come and we, can, and we can recognize the reason for the anguish of Jesus. A huge trial is coming, an enormous crisis is upon them. But the disciples, just, they just don't seem to see that, and it's understandable. But they're not listening to what Jesus is saying. Hey, 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 wake, awake, awake, pray, pray, pray. Be watchful. Pray. But Paul says, Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. The thing is, loved ones, that you and I, we're not enough to get through it on our own. Some of you have been trying. I got the Dr. Phil question to ask you. How's that working for you? Tim and Kathy Keller, 
share this account from their own lives. Tim writes, he's a pastor in Manhattan in New York. In the fall of 1999, he says, I taught a Bible study course in the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife Kathy urged me to do something with her that we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, Tim, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. Because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. Keller continues, maybe it was the power of the illustration. Maybe it was just the right moment. Maybe it was the Spirit of God. Or most likely of all, it was the Spirit of God. Using the moment and the clarity of the metaphor, for both of us, the penny dropped. We realized the seriousness of the issue. And we admitted that anything that was truly, that, that anything that was truly non-negotiable necessity was something we could do. That was more than 12 years ago, of course, at the time of writing. And Kathy and I, can't remember missing a single evening of prayer together, at least by phone, even when we've been in, different, in a different hemisphere. That line, we're not going to make it. What about you? Think you can make it without prayer? Think you can? Jesus didn't think that. Make it really painfully practical. Some of you are husbands and wives, married couples. You crawl into the same bed with the same person every night. That could be a golden opportunity for you in that moment before you go to sleep to do something that you know you're hearing today we need to do. That many married couples would acknowledge just for whatever reason, just can't seem to do it. We're like the disciples who just can't stay awake. Just can't seem to do it. I got a little homework assignment for you, husband, wife. Before you go to sleep tonight, reach over. Men, this would be a great way for you to exercise spiritual leadership. Reach over, grab hold of that hand, and say a prayer. You say, I, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure if I can do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You got to. Your life depends on it. And Pray doesn't need to be a long prayer. In fact, I would even encourage you, if this is brand new, you're starting a new habit, start small. 30 seconds. A word of thanksgiving. A specific need you both have. Seeking God, 
even just for his strength to be faithful to him, whatever might be coming. Amen. That's it. Start there. You might find in a week or two after you can do that 30-second prayer that when you forget, one of you is going to remember. And you may find that that 30-second prayer turns into a one-minute prayer or a two-minute prayer. The point is, is that it's a habit that we want to get into as we look to preparing ourselves, being prayerfully vigilant, praying in the face, preparing for whatever might be coming. Because we know it's coming. We're in cross time, aren't we? So even if I'm not in the trial, I know a trial is not far away. You say, well, that's great, Ross, for the married couples, but my spouse are not a believer, or I don't have a spouse. Well, then you pray. You pray. You, you find the time. You schedule the time. When are you going to pray every day? When are you going to do it? Some, lots of people find it helpful to find a place. If I can get a place where I can go to pray, it helps me just to do it. Maybe you need to do that. Find a place. You say, I got no place. Find one. Find one. But pray. Make a, make a schedule. Lots of us got schedules, got calendars in there. You can put it in your calendar. I was having a meeting with somebody one time, and we were sitting there talking. All of a sudden, their phone went off. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm like, What's, what was that? It's my alarm. This is like three in the afternoon. I'm like, your alarm, eh? They're like, oh, yeah, it's my alarm to remind me to pray. Well, that's, that's a great idea. I said, so then he continued the conversation. I'm like, what are you doing? I thought you're supposed to pray right now. So we prayed together. Look, find a way. Make a U-sized hole in the wall to find a way. Because we need it. The point, of course, is not to be paranoid or to live in dread that bad news is coming, but to know that on our own, we don't have the strength to do it, but God does. So to seek him in prayer. Jesus has made the way open for us to have this great privilege. So God help us to do it. All right, let's review. Don't pack up yet. Let's review. You can't get through. Sorry, you get through what you can't get around. By one, by what? By making bold. And then with humble. And then faithful surrender. And then thirdly, preparing with prayerful vigilance. These four things. Let me ask you, dear friend, is there something that you need to be asking God for today? Is there something? I want you to pray for that, and I want you to pray for it before you leave this room. To ask him. To bring it before him. Dear friend, is there an issue in your life that you need to be submitting to him? Do you need to pray, your will be done? Do you need to review with the Lord in your own heart the org chart of your life and to submit yourself to him? Do you need his grace for faithful surrender? Is it time to surrender something? Is it, is it time today to drop the bitterness, to drop the resentment, to say, Lord, you've given me the hand you've given me because you are God and you are good and you are wise. And so I receive it and I will play this hand you've given me. If you will go with me, I will play it. And Jesus has made it so that you are with me, so I'll play it with him. Maybe you need to surrender and, and confess your trust in the Lord. Tell him, Lord, this is hard. I can't do it on my own. But, but if you will go with me, then I can. Acknowledge your need of him. Ask him to help you to be prayerfully vigilant. And even today, to make a plan, a strategy. How am I going to do this? When am I going to pray? Because I need to. At the end of the service here, I'm going to pray, and then Alex is going to come, and he's going to lead us, in, and the team are going to lead us in a song. After the service, there's going to be people available right up here to pray with you. 
You say, especially this morning, you're just like, yeah, this is, this is me. This is exactly what I need. But I don't trust myself that when I leave this place that anything's going to change. If that's you, we, we get that. Believe me, we get that. But that's why we have people up here to pray, to pray for God's help. So before you head out of the parking lot, that we, we're praying that God will do a work in you, that the things you've resolved and decided and are seeking and determined, that you, you address that, you deal with it before you go home. So there's going to be people up here to pray for you. And, and any time during the week, you need somebody to pray for you, we're here. That's what we're here for, to seek the Lord for you on your behalf. So, loved ones, let's bow together. and We'll pray now, and then Alex is going to come and lead us. Even just now, actually, even right now, as, as, we're, as we're just taking this moment, I do have in mind, too, that thinking about surrender, that maybe there's some who've never yet surrendered even for the first time to the Lord. I would just say, isn't it time? Isn't it time to give your life over to Jesus? Has he not shown you that his way is best? Lord, as we seek you together now in prayer, Lord, the sheer weight of all of our troubles added together, even in this room, let alone those who are watching online, the sheer weight of our troubles is utterly crushing. Who can bear it? Lord, we believe you can. Lord, if you've called a brother or a sister here in this room, to go through something that they would much rather have gone around. I pray, Father, that you would equip them with the filling of your spirit to follow Jesus, to put their feet right in his footsteps as they go through what you've called them to go through. I pray that we would be a church, too, that ministers to the weary and the broken. I pray that even what we have learned together and talked about this morning, Lord, would be shared over kitchen tables, over phone calls this week, over Zoom calls, over coffee meetings. I pray, Lord, that you would equip my brothers and sisters, Lord, to minister these things to people who need that ministry. Lord, we thank you that you're with us always. We pray, Lord, that you would help us through the trial, through the storm, and the hope that the day is coming when it will no longer be cross time. It will be crown time. And it's in this hope we pray in Jesus' name.